Alright everyone, welcome to this week's episode of In The Bonus Pod. It is me, your host, Sierra In The Bonus. I am back. Welcome to anyone checking out the stream. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm trying something a little different. I have clips of my live stream pod on Twitch, as well as some takes where I add on to anything that was missing at the time I recorded as well as some other random opinions, and I would love you all's feedback, but let's get into this week's episode. All right, y'all, so the NBA trade deadline has been about two days ago at this point, but we've had a lot going on, and I haven't really gotten my full takes about it out. So for those of y'all that don't know, which if you pay attention to the NBA, I would be surprised if you didn't, but we can go over some of the biggest trades. So we had the lakers i would say i think the lakers did a pretty damn good job at the trade deadline because before they weren't looking too hot but they got rid of patrick beverly they got mo bamba which is like wild then they also got what's that guy's name they got rui hachimura before the trade deadline which i also thought was a good move for them who was that other place person that they got they got rid of thomas bryant i think I'll put the name of the person on the screen who they got that I'm not mentioning. But basically, in terms of the Lakers, I feel like they're in a way better position at this point. Their only problem right now is that LeBron isn't really consistently healthy. I do feel like these last couple games he's missed pre-All-Star break is him trying to take a break before All-Star break to have extra time to rest because he's definitely going to play an All-Star game, but clearly he's had a lot of like injuries and stuff like that. That's how I know he's exiting his prime because prime LeBron was like never injured, which is really crazy when you think about it. For the better part of about 15 to 17 years, the guy was almost never injured. So props for that. Props to him for breaking the scoring record. Um, MJ's still the GOAT. I don't care. But props on the scoring record, though. All right. So since I recorded this, I now have a clip from LeBron with his feedback on the acquisitions they got. I definitely feel like he's able to speak to this way better than any of us. So let's go ahead and listen to what he said and shout out to the person that recorded this interaction and actually got to ask the question. I will add their name to the screen. I know they, they, they played the game um, at a high level. Um, I think um, you know Gilo is, um, is a really good shifty Space the floor, uh, very crafty, very deceiving with his quick, his uh, his quickness, his, his um, the way he plays the game. Obviously, we got a laser and Malik um, that we um, just pretty, we just never had this season. Where a guy is no matter if he's on the floor, no matter if he's making or not, you have to respect him because of his ability to shoot the ball. He has kind of that J.R. Smith um, feeling to him that he can miss. 10 in a row, and he can make 10 in a row right after that. Um, Vandal's a Swiss Army knife. Um, he can do a little bit of everything with defensive ability, his offensive rebound ability. Um, you saw tonight, um, we had a turnover in the backcourt. He wasn't even in the backcourt, but got a block at the rim and then got to contest a three after that and saved us a possession. And AD got the rebound and a foul. Um, and then Mo, I think Mo is going to give us um, a lot of presence as well. You saw his shot, shot at a blocking ability. Um, and his ability is to shoot the three. No matter if he made him or not tonight, he's a threat, and he will as he gets comfortable. Um, I, I just love 
what we was able to pick up in Devon as well. You know, if his, if his opportunity is called, um, you know, his length, his ability to play uh, multiple positions helps as well. So I thought um, we did a really good job. All right, so that was LeBron's take on the whole situation. All in all, I feel like the Lakers did a really good job turning their season around at the trade deadline. It's definitely going to be interesting to see where they end up seed-wise, but I believe the Lakers are a very, very dangerous team if they're able to get into the play-in tournament. So as of recording this today, the Lakers currently stand at number 13 in the Western Conference. I do feel like LeBron is trying to rest a little bit. I do think he's actually hurt, but I also think that he's aware that they need to go on a really good run after the All-Star break. So I feel like the Warriors and the Lakers are two teams that I'm really looking at because they have an opportunity to potentially meet in the play-in. Now, wouldn't that be entertaining? As for my Warriors, I'm going to get to them a little later, but I just want to say hats off to the Lakers front office. Thank God they got Russell Westbrook out of there. I really felt like he was being used as a scapegoat at a certain point, and I'm happy to see him be able to go somewhere else and really be appreciated by teammates because according to the teammates that play with him, for the most part, they really like him. Yes, he has his negatives, but I don't think he's going to be out of the league or in China like some people try to insinuate. So it's going to be interesting to see what goes on there. But I think for the Lakers, having someone like D'Lo matched up with LeBron, all of my worries with D'Lo in terms of shot selection, in terms of IQ sometimes facilitating, I feel like that's taken off of him having LeBron next to him. So I'm actually going to enjoy seeing D'Lo in a more cohesive system because I think the Wolves just was not the team for him. I, I just don't think it is. And then a small note on the Timberwolves. I'm really looking to see what they do with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know how you guys feel. Feel free to at me on Twitter. But I feel like Anthony Edwards is the way to go. I don't know if that means you have to choose between him and Cat or what, but I just think Anthony Edwards has those leadership intangibles that you want in the guy, right? So I would like to see what goes on with those situations, but so we're going to get to the rest of the pre-recorded and I'll be back with any more commentary for any of the other sections because this was previously recorded and I want to account for any updates since then. So on from the Lakers, another team I thought did really good, which I think most people would agree is the Phoenix Suns. They got rid of Mikel Bridges, which I feel like really hurts their defense. Like I feel like he was their defensive identity, but they got to keep DeAndre Ayton. Like that's the part for me in the trade that's kind of wild. Because if you're the other team, how are you letting them keep DeAndre Aiden and you're giving them KD? I don't know, man. I just, I don't know if they had an arrangement or something. Look, good on them, KD. Apparently, KD requested a trade right after Kyrie did, but he wanted the Nets to keep it under wraps and all that. So we found out when he requested the trade and they sent him to the Suns. But the Suns, I mean, look, man, I feel like at this point, you got KD, you got Devin Booker, you got Chris Paul, 
y'all better win a championship. Chris Paul is washed. Now, interesting rumor that I heard. Um, I don't know how true this is, but I heard some little rumblings that some people think Kyrie could end up going to the Suns in the offseason. Look, man, I don't know. The way KD and Kyrie move, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Some people are like, oh, there's no way. It's like, is there really no way? Or do you not want to believe it? Because Kyrie only has till the end of the season on his deal. So it's definitely possible. Chris Paul is washed. I'm sorry. Chris Paul's never winning a championship. Hope he three literally always trying to injure people i'm i'm not going for it i can't root for that man i can't i can't believe i almost did that one year but no he's always trying to injure people and always doing some fuck shit to get an advantage i don't fuck with that and then he likes to play crazy after mm, I, I don't fuck with that so i hope they don't win a chip but kevin durant oh i'm not letting you get away with this bro i'm not letting you get away with this look man it's crazy how he's convinced us to just except that he's moving to another team that's stacked first of all you got whooped by my warriors you just got cooked in 2016 right and then you come to my team because you're trying to hop on the bandwagon then you win too but you're so insecure and uncomfortable in what you've accomplished that you let fans somehow run you out of town to the nets because you want to go on a conquest to win a championship yourself and you know what I was accepting of that. I was like, you know what? That's fine. I'm glad I have my team back. I didn't want KD on the team in the first place. Some people might call me crazy, but I really wanted to see my team minus KD run it back again because I felt like if everyone was healthy, it would be a nice series. But once KD came to the team, I was accepting and it was cool. But dude had severe attitude problems and clearly had something deeper that was bothering him that other people clearly couldn't help him with right so then he goes to the nets katie Kyrie. i'm like you know what okay i'm not even mad at that but then they get hardened on the team and i'm like oh my god bro i thought you were going over there you know i, I saw the vision Kyrie's better than steph katie's better than steph you know katie's better than lebron it's it just wild shit by the way you know so i'm like okay i see it Katie and Kyrie trying to prove their haters wrong, their former teams and teammates wrong. I saw the vision. But then when they got hard, and I'm like, well, damn, I thought you were trying to go over there to prove you could win a championship without a stacked team. But clearly not. So then I was like, okay, let's see what they do. Harden gets injured. Kyrie's injured. It's like, all right. It was just destined to fail. I never thought that team was going to work in the first place, and it didn't. It didn't so then Harden leaves rightfully so I never criticized him for leaving the Nets because it was so chaotic and then let me make a point about the Nets organization they are one of the worst managed organizations I've ever seen that had superstars here's my thing I'm not saying Katie or Kyrie did everything right I'm not automatically excusing whatever Kyrie did or didn't do showing up or whatever look that that is a whole separate conversation. But in terms of where to slice the blame pie, I think the Nets owners and management and all that, I think they need to be uh, held accountable for the way that they handled the whole Kyrie and vaccine thing. Yeah, you know, I just feel like if you have an agreement with KD, who's the megastar, and you say, okay, 
we're going to accept you and Kyrie as a package deal, right? Fine. Cool. So you're accepting of Kyrie until he starts doing stuff you don't like. Cool. Nothing wrong with that. After that, it gets to a point where with the vaccine situation, for those of y'all that don't remember, there was a vaccine mandate in San Francisco and New York. So both of those areas had city mandates where if you were working in a private facility or building workplace, you have to get vaccinated. So the NBA recommended vaccines, but those two cities made it a mandate where if you wanted to work, you had to get vaccinated. So they considered the stadium, the facilities for these teams, private facilities. So we had Andrew Wiggins and we had Kyrie Irving, who were the two players that were most in the media. Yeah, New York period. Yeah. Um, they were the most in the media publicized for not getting the vaccine. Wiggins ended up getting it. Kyrie said he wasn't going to get it. Cool. So people were angry, angry at Kyrie for not getting the vaccine. I personally felt like it's his personal decision, but they harassed the teammates, the coaches, everybody asking them all about Kyrie not being there, him not getting the vaccine. They tried to say Kyrie was a horrible teammate, that he betrayed Katie and Harden. It's like, wow, okay. I mean, they were really pushing this agenda, basically trying to pressure him into doing something he didn't want to do. I feel like people have the right to decide what they want to do, especially if it affects their money, which it did. People were like, oh, Kyrie, you should play. You know, you're not going to get paid for the games you're not playing. Fine. But the front office, I feel like, compounded the issue because they were going the no comment route for a few months. And then they started getting to the point where the um Kyrie had an opportunity to maybe play road games and not home games because he didn't have to be vaccinated for those. That's fine. So in regards to the road games, I remember it was either it was either the GM or it was the coach. I remember vividly they said something along the lines of we don't want part-time players to the media. And at that moment, I was like, mm, is that really something you should be saying when like the whole world is already on this man's head trying to get him to do something he doesn't want to do? But I'm like, okay, cool. You don't want part-time players. But then KD gets hurt. And then y'all are like, you know what? Well, you know what, Kyrie, you can't play road games. After the team starts losing, you tell them that he can play. And then as they continue to do bad, then it's like, oh, this is all Kyrie's fault. No, they should have stuck to one side or the other. Either he wasn't going to play or he was. But they wanted to take the public stance because there are so many people on the media journalists whatever they're like oh so you're just gonna let Kyrie do whatever he wants they seem to be just standing by him and just being silent on it or just not entertaining it but it seems like some people were getting frustrated with him not playing which that's fine to be frustrated his money is his business whatever but then they tried to make it seem like when they did let him come back it was his fault that the team was doing bad they were already saying it was his fault because he wasn't playing. It was just uh, Katie and Harden. But then when he came back, you know, the team wasn't doing bad. And then they told him to come back. So that, to me, is setting him up to fail, first of all. Then in the summer 
hold on so this is last season so after they lost to the celtics i remember someone from the organization in a press conference after they lost they were like oh well we're not singling anybody out but you know we just want to make sure everyone's on the same team and all that yeah they did trade harding got ben they even tried to set oh on the on a, a note on the nets organization this is the other thing that threw me off right they did do the bin trade right and then they tried to make ben play i don't know why people don't talk about this so the media was on ben simmons head about not playing they're like oh he has no heart he has no backbone he's scared he's this he's that right the nets were trying to get him to play in that game three or four they were putting out team messages saying oh ben simmons could possibly play in game three or four and i was like why do y'all have a man who hasn't played in a year why do y'all have him trying to play like y'all trying to play him in the playoffs that made no sense to me at all and i felt like they were setting him up to fail because you're trying to play him for the first time in over a year in the playoffs with a team he hasn't played with before and he was saying that he wasn't ready to come back so while the media is putting all this pressure on him to play they put pressure on him to play because they're putting out messages saying that he's going to play he ended up not doing it and people called him a coward people called him all this and that turns out dude actually did still have a problem it ended up getting back surgery in the off season i don't know why people let them get away with that i really don't because that I felt like was malpractice as well because why are you trying to put someone in a playoff game that hasn't played in over a year why are you adding on to the pressure that the media is putting on him because i felt like that was setting him up for failure because if he came back and he wasn't ready which he wasn't and he played bad they would have blamed it on him so how are you as an organization putting extra pressure on two of your players i don't know i just feel like that's not a good look so that's my thing on the Nets organization. I think they completely failed um, this whole experiment with KD and Kyrie. So that's my two cents on that. As for the Suns, they better win that championship or I'm about to be on KD's head because this is going to be your third stack team, buddy. This is going to be your third stack team. So we will see if Kyrie does possibly maybe join in the summer. That would definitely change things a lot that would change things a lot so as for the suns like defensively is obviously a big issue but in the west the defense is so bad for almost all the teams in the west it, it's not just outright bad it's just like relative like relative to years past the defense for most of the teams in the west isn't that good like there's really no just like really strong defensive team like say the top three teams in my eyes in the east the bucks the celtics and the Cavs, all great defenses there's no teams in the west where it's just like oh they just have a great defense the grizzlies but they've been kind of up and down and jaron jackson can't even stay on the floor so that's that for the grizzlies but as for the suns i would like the argument that's obvious is like oh their defense isn't going to be that good with chris paul katie devin booker like yeah but i don't know if the defense and the other teams is good enough for that to even matter because i would say this year it's been way more offense heavy for the best teams say the mavs the nuggets the 
I mean, I can't even put the words in there. They haven't been anywhere near as consistent to even put put them in that category in terms of like people being healthy. But the top teams in the West, the Grizzlies, the Clippers, like their defense is good, but none of them just have great defenses. So I don't know how much is going to matter if to get out the West, you're not playing against a team that has a defense as good as the Bucks or the Celtics. So offense might win. It just might be like a a a, a standoff between the best offensive teams, and it might not even matter. So that's the thing with the Suns. They should have a chance to get out. I'm definitely going to be looking to see some of those first games and see them build chemistry. I don't want to see people doing that thing where – new teammates play with each other for one or two games and they're like oh see this isn't gonna work don't even set yourself up like that don't even do that just wait for it to play out and even if with the suns it doesn't work out this season they still have next season is chris paul gonna be there big question is Kyrie gonna go there another big question because if he does that completely changes things too because chris paul as far as i'm concerned is cooked he can even stay healthy consistently which was already a problem, but it's even more so now. But on to another team that I feel like, you know, got better, obviously, the Dallas Mavericks. Shout out to them. I've been saying all year, hey, Luka needs a real co-star, a real co-star, not Christian Wood. No disrespect to him. He's been balling out. But I mean, like, a legit co-star that could take that Jalen Brunson role. Well, Kyrie Irving is a hell of a upgrade. Hell of an upgrade. So... I think some people like the way I try to explain to people, just say you're taking Jalen Brunson out and you're putting Kyrie in that role and ask yourself, can Kyrie play the Jalen Brunson role? The answer is yes. So let's just keep it real. Let's be real simple with it. We don't have to sit here and downplay any of the stuff going on there. It's very disgusting and very OP to have Luca and Kyrie on the same team. And personally, I'm going to be enjoying watching them figure it out because that's what basketball is is figuring out chemistry is figuring out different lineups is that's why i can enjoy whatever team okay let me not lie i can't enjoy whatever team i can enjoy teams with people that are skilled or just have a nice system so that's my other team the kings so shout out to them i will give a little commentary on them but to close out the maps y'all should never let luca get hope Y'all should have never let that man get help. Um, Luca admitting a bias. Luca's one of my favorite players in the league. He has been since before he got drafted. Um, but it's gonna be fun. I've been saying I would like Luca to get a better co-star teammate because I want to see him play off ball more. That's something I personally want to see because Luca's gonna go crazy regardless. The, the man is just gifted. Okay, like he's extremely skilled. And he gets hella free throws. Let's not leave that out. But the man is skilled. He just knows how to fucking play basketball. He's just a really good basketball player, like, all around. So what I would like to see from Luka, now that you have a co-star, like last season when I was watching the playoffs and giving my commentary, it's time to see that defense, bro. He's not going to be an all-defensive player, none of that. But I know Luka can be better defensively. He can so now that you have a co-star and you don't have to carry as much and have as high of a usage rate 
it's time to see more activity and engagement on defense. I don't think that's unreasonable to ask. I'm not saying he needs to be, um, you know, a great point of attack defender, but I need to see him mentally engaged on defense, which is something that wavered a lot. But the caveat to that, considering the circumstances with how much he was carrying, it makes sense that maybe he wasn't putting in a great effort you know, on defense, when you have that much of an offensive load, Lucas had like the highest offensive rating, probably the last like two, three years. So I'm ready to see him balance his game out more, which we've already seen. He could do it. If you watch film from Real Madrid, like dude literally knows how to play every way. So I'm personally, I'm personally excited. LeBron's barber said foul trouble in plan D. That is a great point. That's a great point about the defense. So yeah, that's the thing. Um, I was watching actually. Let's check out this little thread. But yeah, LeBron's barber. That is a good point about their defense. And this this thread. Um, they were kind of yeah. Kyrie and Luca are both dudes who can be engaged defensively. But I would say Kyrie's better than Luca defensively. Um, I think where Luca can improve. It's as a team defender, like team defense. I'm not expecting him to get better at point of attack, but I do think he can get better as a team defender. Um, I think Kyrie can be a good team defender. So there was a play where both of them were on the weak side. Hold on, let's see. Right, so look at this right here. So he said the Kings just keep the pressure on you once they push ball moves and they get right to the driving kick before you know it. A positive for Dallas is the activity defensively. Okay, now let's watch them scramble on defense. Okay, look at Ky Kyrie and Luca. I think one thing that's underrated. So they're great offensively. They're both very difficult shot makers. So one thing I think you know, it's going to be difficult to stop them. But one thing I think other teams are going to try to do is definitely target them on defense. That's one. They're going to be targeted on defense because they want to tire them out. So I expect both of them to get attacked a lot. Let's see. I'm trying to find that one play. So this is an example of one. You said Kings get to the backside of this action. Herder flying off. And it will be interesting to see how many teams are going to make Luca the only defender on the weak side. There's another one. Probably retweeted it. Oh, there it is. Okay. So these are going to be interesting defensive possessions for Dallas. Woods and pick and roll. Kyrie and Luca are both on the weak side and responsible to rotate slash help. Okay, so this is kind of what I was getting at. So it's going to be interesting to see how Luka and Kyrie can stay, like how long they can stay engaged defensively because they're really offensive heavy guys and they haven't been put in a position to where they got to take such a large load defensively in terms of like being attacked the amount they're going to be attacked defensively. So, like, we saw Luka get attacked last year in the playoffs. I would like to see how long they're able to sustain their engagement on the defense. 
and how that's going to affect their like efficiency and offense because they're both already difficult shot takers right so that's an efficiency thing like they can both be efficient but like they take very high degree of difficulty shots is what i'm trying to get at so considering that and how in the playoffs that can be an efficiency problem and considering that teams are going to attack them on defense how does that affect their shot selection and their efficiency because they're definitely going to make them work and try to wear them down as much as they can so if you already take very high difficulty shots and you're being forced to work on defense that's going to be a big test of their stamina one like on both ends their defensive stamina mentally and physically because if you're getting attacked you can't just stand there like luke and Kyrie are the type of guys where like on their teams previously like they will be the guy that gets caught standing there sometimes because of how much they're working offensively so considering like christian wood should definitely be a big help to them because he's like a nice offensive center but he's not somebody that you can just have at the rim and expect them to like block shots so they're going to be made to work and i'm just curious how that affects them because we've seen it with Luca in the playoffs before where he's had such high usage offensively and you know then on defense he can't really put as much effort in I'm just watching this over and over again and then we've seen it with Kyrie but like also the other thing that's obvious that people are going to wonder is like who's going to get the last shot down the stretch I saw Luca have a quote last night about he should have passed the ball to Kyrie I think it's gonna take a minute for him to adjust to having like a good teammate where he can actually trust him because like that's the thing people gotta remember like he might just be so stuck in the oh Lucas save us mentality that he kind of had to have that mentality because there wasn't that much help in terms of like someone you can pass the ball to tell him get a bucket and like actually trust him I would like to see how that dynamic plays out as well but they should be pretty good but i do think they're still missing some some depth but shout out to josh green because i've been kind of watching him from earlier in the season and he seems to be developing really nice which i think hold on let's see. okay here's one note he had Luke and Curry both being able to start plays and finish plays has jumped off the pace for me. Yeah, that's a big thing. That's a big thing for them. Um, probably one of their biggest advantages aside from being able to create shots for themselves, they can both create for others. I mean, obviously Lucas the better facilitator, but Kyrie can he can he can do that too. He can do that too, especially if you have him as a secondary shot creator playmaker. Like it's really tough. It's going to be really tough to, to finish that or to cover that. Rather, Lucas screening for Kyrie King switch, but one thing Dallas will want to smooth out is where the ball is caught. But you see the idea of wanting to keep pressure on defenses with them being one pass away from each other, right? Hold on, let's zoom in. Right? Yeah, that screen action between those two is going to be nasty. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be pretty nasty. The guard screen, though, is something that 
I really love personally because it allows coaches to get kind of creative with, you know, warping the defense and forcing them to guard a certain way. Dallas goes back to the same set. What's interesting is the pin down from Powell could lead to Lucas screening for Kyrie. Yeah, they have a lot of options though. Pin down to pick and roll potential for Kyrie to come off an exit screen from Green. What's interesting is the Kings are giving the effort to rotate, but after the ball movement, you have to deal with another Luca PNR. Right? Yeah, it's gonna be PNR for days with those two. It, it it's kind of reminding me of like the Warriors and kind of some of their dynamics with with the way that their offense goes. Do you think Kyrie is a Robin everywhere he goes? Is that gonna be his legacy? Uh, pretty much. We saw what he looked like on his own team. I know people tried to erase that tenure with the Celtics side of uh you know history, but I didn't forget. Yeah. Gets the hand off. You're good. Gets the hand off. Hits a bonus. Yeah. Said, keep an eye on the possessions where it's Luca and Kyrie together on the weak side defensively, having to rotate with what Dallas likes to do. Like, they can rotate, they can rotate. But I just, it's going to be interesting seeing them, seeing if they're able to sustain that. And Luca knows how to play like with other great players. So I'm not even worried about them being able to mesh together. Like that's going to work. Like people forget just because Luca has been like, high usage rate uh primary ball handler you know lucas save us doesn't mean he can't go back to like the more well-rounded and balanced teammate but yeah lebron's barber it's just so funny how like people act like that shit didn't happen with the celtics where he had like a horrible series in the playoffs some guys just aren't meant to be the guy which is why Kyrie and steph should never be compared it's not the same who takes the last shot Hey, I think it's going to pin, but I think what it's going to take is Luca learning how to get a feel. Like, he had a quote last night that said something along the lines of, you know, he should have passed it to Kyrie. He was hot. Um, He's going to have to, you know, make sure to do that better in the future and kind of read that situation better. So, I would say, ooh, that is going to be tough, though, because... Kyrie's considered more clutch, but Luka's also clutch. That's going to be interesting, though. Two guys that offensively feel like they're alphas. So, you know, how is that going to work? I mean, I feel like if LeBron and Kyrie works, Luka and Kyrie's going to work. Because Luka, facilitating-wise, is similar to LeBron. In terms of like their sides, being able to see over the defense, making great crazy passes, being able to find their guy. So I think it's gonna take a minute. I wanna give them 10 games before I really judge, but I'm personally gonna be enjoying watching the process of them figuring it out together. I think that's the fun part. 
but I would like to see, you know, are they going to be, are, are their other teammates going to be able to help them enough? Because it can't just be on those two. Exactly. The blame game media distractions, right? Like, I don't know, man. I, I hope it works out for him though, but it, it's going to be fun. Basketball wise, this is going to be fun. Let's see. Do we have an update on GP2? Hold on. Okay. So this is interesting. So. Okay, so we don't have an update yet. We don't have an update on this situation. All right, so since I recorded this, we did get an update on the GP2 situation, which I did address later on. So as of right now, Gary Payton is on the Warriors, and the Warriors also did send in a message to the league office for them to investigate the Trailblazers. So I just wanted to fill in the gap here with the current date information. And yeah, let's get to the rest of the pod. Any other big, no, we got the Mavs, Lakers. I don't think any other teams got like significantly better. Like the Celtics didn't make any moves. They don't really need to make any moves. Like I still think they're the best team. Okay. So... I don't think I missed any other, like, super... Oh! The Warriors were wise men. So, next thing I have to speak on is the whole wise men situation. Um, as some people may know, I was a big fan of wise men. I was a big fan of his potential, his game, etc. However, I felt like as time went on, I started to feel like there was almost a standoff between the coaching staff and the front office in terms of the young guys and some of the vets. So how does this relate to Wiseman? Well, I felt like he had a horrible start to his career in terms of like just luck. I feel like for one, the worry situations are difficult because it's a team with veterans who have won championships. So trying to fit a big prospect into that was always going to be difficult. But I felt like if they simplified his role, then he could be effective. The way they used him at the beginning of his career, I didn't feel like that was ideal. However, he started to build momentum in his first season. Then he got hurt. That sucks. Then COVID happened. That also sucks. So then he came back then he had to get a meniscus surgery so he was going to be out even longer didn't have time to do skills training rehab none of that he was scheduled to work with kevin garnett then got hurt so it's like a bad horrible string of events for him to start his career and i felt like from that point it was going to be difficult but he still had a lot of potential to do great things so the beginning of the season for whatever reason the warriors decided to play wiseman out of the first 10 games but let's not revise history they played Wiseman and he wasn't great but he was not the reason 
that they got off to that bad streak. It definitely did not help. He was part of the reason. But let's talk about how the vets started off playing like trash. Let's talk about how Jordan Poole played and was having like three to five turnovers a game. You know, like no one got off to a great start. Clay was bad, but you know, he barely had time to actually get prepared for the season because of that mental block that he had going on. So he was kind of getting in shape at the beginning of the season, unlike other people who, you know, had a lot of time in preseason and all that. He didn't have that. So I understood that, but it still hurt the team from the beginning. So to me, I'm just like, all right, it's going to be tough for Wiseman to make it in this situation. But what I felt, it felt like this is speculation. I don't know, but this felt like there was almost a standoff between the coaching staff and the front office in terms of the agendas they were trying to push. Why do I say that? Because some of these young guys have played well, but it's almost like Steve is like, I don't want to play them. I want vets. They're not good enough. And it seems like to an extent he already made up their mind and that led to certain people getting DMPs. And it's like, here's my thing developing you're not developing guys on the bench that's not development i'm sorry it's not so having wiseman dmp'd having moody dmp'd even last season having jonathan kaminga dmp'd even if they were playing good so i'm like okay if we're talking about learning and growth that's not going to happen unless they are playing you can't get better if you're not playing. This is very basic stuff here, like very bare minimum basic stuff. So I felt like, okay, you don't feel like they're good enough to put on the team? Fine. How about we send the guys to the G League? They didn't do it. They waited. After those like first seven or 10 games or however many, they put Wiseman on the bench, Moody on the bench, didn't play them. I got it because they need to dig themselves out of the hole. Again, I asked why don't you send them to the G League? Them sitting on the bench does not help them at all. It's actually hurting them for them to just sit there on the bench. But I'm like, hey, maybe there's maybe there's a reason that I'm not really understanding. Maybe there's a reason that is beyond my scope of, of understanding. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But is it possible that Steve maybe just isn't a great coach for developing young guys is it like because if i look at jordan Poole, you know that was almost forced into happening it's not like steve was like oh yeah you know what jordan's ready let me play him jordan was playing behind brad wanamaker even though he was improving even though he was getting better went to the g league balled out came back was playing better I think he needed to be in the G League. Let's not mistake that. But what I'm saying is some coaches have their strengths and they have their weaknesses. Is it possible that even though Steve is a championship coach, great basketball mind, whatever, is it also possible that maybe he's not the best coach to develop young guys? That's where I'm at with it. So in terms of Jordan Poole, that was kind of forced into happening. Jordan went to the G League, got developed in the G League. You know, like they weren't even playing Jordan the right position when he first got there. He he was not ready to play and be legit 
consistent in the rotation when he first got in the league. He wasn't. But when he came back and showed improvement, Steve still was keeping him on the bench. We can go to Jonathan Kaminga last year. He had a lot of good stretches, and Steve still didn't want to put him in. I get disciplining and, and getting a point across. There could have been behind-the-scenes things. I concede that, acknowledge that. Certain players have mentioned it, so I do think that is a factor, which is fair. But in order for people to learn, they need positive reinforcement. So if young guys are already in a difficult position where they're playing behind a lot of veterans, right? Championship team can't make as many mistakes. Understood. If those are already the tight circumstances they're under, you know, why not send them to the G League for more of the time? instead of just having them on a bench that's one and then two part of me that feels like maybe there's some other aspects to this that's not just on the court is the sentiment that some of the players have that perhaps the front office feels like they can replicate this dynasty and not with the older guys and that maybe they're moving a little too fast onto the youth movement rather than respecting and building the team the best around the best that they have now i could see that and it's almost like at this point i felt like steve was rebelling against the front office by not playing some of these young guys kaminga forced his way into the rotation moody last year forced his way into the rotation so to expect people to perform under the conditions of not playing or they do good things and they don't get rewarded with more minutes or you have vets on the team who are making mistakes and you know they're not at certain points being held accountable for those mistakes very difficult position for young guys to operate under so as for Wiseman I'm glad he's gone I'm glad he's on a new team I wish him the best in Detroit if he stays we will see later on if the Warriors do decide to let this trade go through. But as for the young guys, I hope people like Moody and Kaminga can continue to get minutes. Moody, especially Kaminga, seems to have solidified himself in the rotation. So good on him for that. But Steve, I don't feel like he's a bad coach. I just feel like maybe he doesn't exactly like how the front office has been pushing this youth movement while you still have vets and all-time great players in the roster. In which case, I agree. I, however, don't like that maybe this agenda war, how that has affected certain guys' career and playing time and people's perception of them. Because if you're telling me Steve could not find a way to integrate a seven-footer into his offense, you have got to be kidding me. If he wanted to, he would. But Steve made up his mind on certain players already. And it's okay to admit that. Sometimes people are wrong. I said, if we could have James Wiseman play the JaVale McGee role, if we're really simplifying it, we're not talking about what we hope Wiseman will be one day. I'm talking about with the tools that he had at the time he was on the team, we could have played him in the JaVale McGee role, kept it simple, just have him run the floor, and just have him out there simply for vertical floor spacing and get him to a point where he could be a neutral on defense, we would be good. 
but if you don't play him he can't even possibly get to that point so it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy when you don't play him and then you put him out there against certain matchups which i did notice by the way matchups that were not great for him playing him against Jokic, really but you didn't play him against some of the other teams so it felt like to me to a degree he was being set up to fail i'm not saying that he's not uh responsible for any of his own development but what i would say for a guy who's played less than 60 games in his nba career um not playing him does not help him at all and then it's like why wouldn't you send him to the g league earlier why have him dmp'd and on the bench for so long something down to the g league he started to get a momentum, brought him back, played him two, three games. That's it. Or we'll put him in the game and it would be three minutes, four minutes, eight minutes. I get it. He's a negative on defense. But when we have someone like Jermichael Green, who was hurting us as much as he was earlier, who also ended up getting DNP, you're telling me he can't help us at all? I don't know. But look, I'm glad he's on a new team. I don't think he's trash like some people are saying. I just feel like it's insanely wild to say that someone is a bust or trash or not going to be good or whatever the hell when they're only less than 60 70 games into their career and have had multiple injuries so if you're saying he's a bust because of the injuries fine but based on his skill set he has a skill set i don't agree with the fact that some people are saying he just can't do anything he's not good at anything he can score at least and the warriors try to force him into their system instead of integrating him into the system and what i do remember some reporters saying uh from the athletic i think they said you know to the point that some of us made about why not try to integrate certain guys young guys into the system more their response the sentiment from the coaching staff was that certain players were not good enough to uh shape the system around them a little bit more or tailor the system towards their games a little more and to me that sounds like somebody that's already made up their mind on certain players which is fine because i trust steve to put the right guys on the court when it matters the best guy he thinks is going to help win but when developing guys it's not about who's the best player to put on the floor it's about allowing them to play through their mistakes it was already a difficult position to be in, but having a coach not believing you definitely does not help your confidence. Having him talk you up, but then when it's time to put you in the game, he don't put you in there. It's got to be a very difficult situation. So in regards to Wiseman getting traded, a transition to this whole fiasco that's happened recently, this is a whole saga. So uh, for those of y'all that don't know, there was i think basically like a three-way trade between the warriors the pistons and the trailblazers so the warriors moved wiseman to detroit and i believe detroit sent some picks the detroit sent sadiq bay to the warriors the warriors sent him to the hawks and sent some picks to portland in exchange for gp2 okay so quick rundown of the situation so let me go back to big screen so i can do this part all right so for those of y'all that don't know um nba tread dateline was a couple days ago a lot of big names moved katie to the suns i mean it was just wild now 
the Warriors made an, a pretty good trade. Okay, it wasn't anything too crazy. They ended up sending James Wiseman to the Detroit Pistons and basically did some other stuff and basically got Gary Payton the second back on the Warriors. So this was a nice move, but apparently after Gary Payton the second got a physical from the Warriors, they found out that he had been dealing with this abdomen issue. Um, I believe he actually, he had an abdomen issue. I believe he actually had like a surgery and he was out like three to six months. And allegedly, because I've heard conflicting reports, allegedly he was being given Taradol shots in a, not forced, but basically pushed or pressured to play in games despite being in pain and maybe it not being healed all the way. So basically a report came out the next day after the trade that Gary Payton II was going to be out for three months, which as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, that must be the worst case scenario. So apparently it is because I'm also hearing reports from, I believe it wasn't Marcus Spears, but let's see if I can find the tweet. Um, I was hearing reports that it could actually be three to four weeks, which is still a long time, but better than three months so here's the here's a tweet with a little update on where we are with this situation this is kind of a big deal uh source deadline for warriors to make decision on the gp2 trade is tomorrow not today so that was oh so that's today however the team has been hoping to make the call asap not earth shattering but there had to be there had been conflicting info so wanted to check damn so basically we don't have an update let me go check kylan's page Ooh. okay here it is here's the update so it says espn sources the warriors are working with the nba on a way to complete the 14 trade and still preserve their rights to pursue recourse on how gary payton the second's medical information was shared to them at the time of the deal damn so interesting yeah yeah basically this person said in other words they want to make sure they don't void their right to complain by accepting a trade right so that was the whole situation this was a really big deal because usually teams share information like they have access to the databases for injuries for all players and if a player was significantly injured and it wasn't disclosed before during a trade talk that is not good like i don't know how else to put it it's just not good it's not ethical it's not within the rules all of that so the warriors were basically in a position where they had to decide rather they were going to undo the trade send him back to the team he came from that clearly someone lied about health information and then bring wiseman back to the warriors but apparently they're going to go through the, with the trade this has been a thing looming over the past like two or three days what are they going to do because if a player is more injured than another team led on in a trade first of all it's unethical and against the rules but besides that um it definitely changes the amount of capital and assets that a team will put on a line if a guy's injured they're not going to put a very valuable asset on the line for a guy that is compromised so they were not let on that he was being 
not forced but he was being pressured to play through a compromising injury so this is the final verdict on how this is going to go i think the trailblazers need to be held accountable because if you're not being transparent with a health issue like this severe like and you still were able to get assets in a trade i don't know i just feel like the assets need to be revoked i feel like i don't know if there's a precedent for anything like this happening before i haven't seen it happen but i feel like whatever assets they got in the trade needs to be taken away from them and given back to the warriors or whoever they got it from because i don't think you should be able to lie or mislead on the health of a player that you're trading and still be able to keep the assets you got in the trade so it's going to be very interesting to see what the nba does but in regards to the warriors this puts them in a very difficult situation i personally didn't think there was a chance that they would send him back because he is very loved by his teammates in the warriors the staff everyone top to bottom loves this guy the only issue with him was that they didn't want to pay him as much as he was asking which is why he went to another team in the offseason so having him back is a big plus but my thing is how healthy is he going to be when he comes back it's only like 25 or 26 games left Steph Curry's out they're not on a good trajectory right now they've had health issues all season then they've had this dynamic with the young guys and the vets so what I'm looking for from the Warriors who are they looking at on the buyout market now somebody I was thinking um Kevin Love if he becomes available by the Cavs I don't know if he's getting bought out that would be a good pick um Serge Ibaka I've heard of a lot of people bring him up but I don't know like how much he can contribute like he can shoot he can play the three or four but I don't know how effective he is at this point in his career so I'm kind of just pouring on that <laughs> let's see the Warriors knew he was hurt and now they're trying to act like they didn't but if they knew he was hurt why like that's the thing some people are saying the Warriors knew that he was hurt and went through it anyway to make the Trailblazers look bad. I don't, that makes no sense. You know why? Because it hurts them. They gave up assets to get this guy. They would not have traded for him if they knew he was hurt. They had no reason to believe he wasn't hurt because clearly somebody left something out of medical records. So I'm not blaming the team, but I would like to see oh wow people are actually liking this Warriors are trying to finesse so hard bro gp2's agent said he was never forced to take shots he was cleared in early december and chose to play literally up until the trade he plays played the worst night before the trade justice will be served oh wow this is funny they promised the team he'd play in the Warriors game on december almost a month after being cleared and they didn't debut into the second then continued to play what someone said gp2's agent is the same as dames and in cahoots with portland's front office no one's believing his obviously biased agent yeah i don't know what's up with that that is another interesting angle because i did see something come out earlier that said his agent refuted the report that he was taking toradol shots which is basically a, a pain management and inflammation management drug so i don't know what the truth is man somebody's lying because if his agent is saying oh, look somebody's lying 
because the Warriors had no incentive to get a player that they want and then rule him as hurt when they are in dire need of defense and they're in dire need of some type of spark so it literally makes zero sense for them to do this like it does not benefit them because their team is in a bad position right now so that's the part to me that doesn't really make sense but i'm glad that we have an update on this whole thing um i have definitely been wanting to kind of see what the what the ruling was on that trying to see if there's any more he was giving oral doses of toradol to manage his pain plus the nba has received a complaint from the warriors against the trailblazers and the league has launched a review of potential misleading by the blazers regarding gary pay in the second status yeah this is gonna be interesting though because what is gonna come of this see here's the here's the uh report i was talking about i want to get the quote aaron goodwin the agent of gary payton the second tells nba that despite of what's being reported my client never took toward all shots to be available for games <laughs> okay that's funny because his agent said that he never took toward all shots but then this report up here says that he took an oral version of Toradol. So it's like you're trying to play semantics. So what is the point that he's trying to make? Oh, he never took Toradol shots, but then it comes out that he took a oral version of Toradol. He still took it. That The point is he was taking something to help him play through pain and injury. Nah, that's funny. I, look somebody's lying all i know is somebody needs to be held accountable for this because if you're forcing it hmm? would it fall on the agent no mm -mm. just the team not the agent the agent the agent, the agent don't matter don't the agent doesn't matter this has nothing to do with the agent like he's just speaking on the player's behalf but that's a little sus because i heard he's in cahoots with organization hmm. so okay to round this out for me to go take a break for the super bowl stream my thoughts on the super bowl um i am very excited to have two black quarterbacks in the super bowl two that i have learned a lot about this season seasons before i'm a patrick mahomes fan so i've obviously been watching him a little longer but as for jalen hurts very proud of him i think he's only like 24 um son of a coach great leader great role model i mean both of them are so i'm pretty excited if i have to make a prediction i'm picking my chiefs like i can't pick against them like it is what it is that's what i'm picking but i'm gonna post this on tiktok hold on all right so i am recording this after the super bowl and I just want to include my reaction, my live reaction to the results of the Super Bowl. Just try to keep the yeah, we recording for my victory speech. Really, at this point, you're just hoping for a miracle. Oh, I told y'all. I said it from the fucking beginning, nigga. I said it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me pull out my YouTube video title from months ago. 
I told y'all, don't doubt my fucking quarterback ever in your life. They said, oh, he don't have Tyreek Hill. How is he going to do it? Sound like they said, same thing, sound like Steph with the KD shit. He don't have Tyreek Hill. He's a Tyreek Hill merchant. That's what they said. That's what they said, Bestie. They say he's a Tyreek Hill merchant. They say he's just a running quarterback. So what did God do? He put him in a situation where his ankle was compromised. So people can see, even if the nigga is on one leg, he's still cooking y'all. How many times do we have to tell y'all? Patrick Mahomes is different. Patrick Mahomes is him. Please don't try him. It's time to put respect on this man's name. He is the GOAT. This is what evolution looks like. This is evolution. And Travis Kelsey is him too. Facts. Facts. And on top of that, next time the Chiefs say something, put some respect on our name. I know that's fucking right. I know that's fucking right. I need that championship hat. Here my receipts go, chat. You know, it was a big moment. It was a big game. A lot of guys playing a little uncharacteristic, and we were just able to, you know, regroup at halftime. Y'all see the date on this? Y'all see the date on this? December 16th. You know, they're, they're rebuilding. Tyreek is gone. There's a new quarterback in the AFC, a couple new quarterbacks. It's my fucking team, y'all. MB Pat. Hold on. Who that? Jabril. The GOAT. I fucking told y'all, niggas. Y'all see this? It says. I know that's right. GOAT, period. Back up to you. They said my team wasn't winning shit. The Chiefs win another one. Second and it's going to be another one. Next level Tom Brady, it's up. It's up, my nigga. Tom Brady, it's time to have the conversation. It's time to have the conversation. I know y'all see this right here. What does it say? My YouTube video from December 16th. This is why the Kansas City Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. Check my YouTube. Check my YouTube. Check my YouTube. Hi, Diggo. How are you? How are you? I'm feeling great right now, personally. I'm feeling great. Hey, hey, should have been Josh Allen, The nigga couldn't even make it there. Please. Please. Because he was playing in the snow. He don't play the snow. Oh hell! Oh hell no! Nah. <laughs> See my quarterback. It don't matter if it's rain, snow, sleet, hell, whatever. I don't care. He's cooking niggas. One leg, one fucking leg cooking niggas. Y'all can't say nothing now. On one fucking leg though. On one leg, please. They not ready. It's time to have the goat conversation. I'm sorry. It's time to have the goat conversation. When are we going to sit here and admit that this man is time? It's time. I'm sorry. This man did this on one leg. Who else has played on a high ankle sprain for three rounds? Oh, okay. I was just wondering. Bestie with the biddies. Thank you, Bestie. Turn me up. Look, all I'm saying, man is I stood on what I said. Everybody was like, oh, no, they're not winning this year. Oh, no, this guy's better. Burrow's better. Josh Allen's better. 
Lamar's better. Jalen Hurts better. All them, all them niggas good. They good respect. Hey, I love Joe Burrow. I love Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts bought his ass off. That man had one of the best performances I've ever seen. No, like so much respect to him. He had one of the best performances I've ever seen. Like especially for him only being twenty four. The loss wasn't on him. But I'll tell you what to go. He should have threw that touchdown though instead of fumbling. Look. This is whose fault it is. I'm blaming the nigga that pulled Patrick Mahomes' ankle. As soon as they did that shit, I was like, oh, nah. Nah, it's up. I'm like, there's no way y'all are coming back from this shit. There's no fucking way. But I just want to say, Patrick Mahomes is the GOAT. I know 99% of people are going to say no, but I got to be the person that say it. I got to stand on it. I can't be there after everyone declares him the GOAT and be like, oh, he's the GOAT. That's nothing profound. So I am declaring he is the best quarterback of all time. No one is as dynamic. We saw the man literally on one fucking leg, bro. I told people, y'all keep calling this man a running quarterback. Y'all are disrespecting the other intangible parts of his game. The being able to adjust, the ability to have a feel for the pocket and be able to escape. Every time, bro, this man is able to read the room. I'm, I'm, I'm declaring it the read the room badge. That's not a badge, but I'm calling it. He knows how to read the fucking room because when that pocket gets tight, he's always able to slip out and shit. He can run it himself or he can make another read and still get a pass off. His IQ and his processing speeds are superior. I'm sorry, man. The guy has done everything you could have asked of him. He was limping on one fucking leg and still was able to do just enough to get his team in field goal range versus the Bengals. The man had his ankle pulled. Literally, niggas tried to sabotage my guy and he was still able to make shit shake. So in conclusion, please put some respect on Patrick Mahomes' name. Please put some respect on those young boys from the Chiefs. Travis Kelsey, also him, greatest tight end of all time. Hey, Travis Kelsey is the greatest tight I, I stand on that one. He is the greatest tight end of all time. I'm just saying. They have confirmed that Rihanna is pregnant. Mahomes not, though. Oh, okay. Rihanna's pregnant, y'all. That's the announcement, I think. But look, and shout out to Pacheco. Like, Pacheco. oh my God. That man was cooking from the beginning of the season to the end. Now the goat, help me out here. Is is Pacheco a rookie? I just want to make sure I'm not making that up. Yeah. That man, I'm sorry. You need to stop doing that little TikTok dance though. <laughs> what? <laughs> what TikTok dance? You always do the same little dance every time. <laughs> but he was going stupid. Look, man, Gideon said Patrick is the second greatest quarterback of all time. I'm sorry. Look, I know he got at least two more Super Bowls in him. So that's fine. If y'all don't want to call him a GOAT now, call him a GOAT with number five. Tom Brady has never had a high ankle sprain for three rounds in one. This nigga was deflating balls and shit. I'm not trying to hear it. And his team was recording other people training. So I'm really not trying to hear it. But look, chat, this is my final words. I think this year's win for the Chiefs is a testament 
One, to Patrick Mahomes' greatness. Two, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. They are a legendary duo. That man, Bieniemy, does not get enough credit for what he does. Literally, the creativity of this offense and the adaptability of Patrick to be able to go from having a superpower uh, or superhero offensive weapon in Tyreek Hill to not having him yes he still had Travis Kelsey but he had so many young guys so many young guys and people that were new to the system and to integrate him into the system the way they did and still be able to make high quality passes and adjustments throughout the season with people being hurt and all that I have to give that man in this team credit so also shout out to Chris fucking Jones man what a season what a season my second favorite player on the team look when he started yelling at them niggas, I think it was like going into like halftime or after a break. Oh, like, they're going to shirts. They're going to championship shirts. Oh, I'm getting that hat. I'm getting that championship hat. Oh, yeah, I'm getting that. Yeah, I need me a relic from this one. Well, I'm getting that shit later this week. But it's been a time. Look, chat. I've had. Yeah, I got you. I've had a blast. Yeah. I've had a blast. It was it's been real with y'all. Um, but I <laughs> actually need to give who win it next year. Shit. The Chiefs. Give us another year of chemistry. It's up. It's up. Give us another year. Oh hell yeah. It's up. It's up. Oh wait, wait, wait. Here to here go the little ceremony. But I also wanted to add. Earlier in the season, I got a chance to talk to a player from the Chiefs, McCole Hartman, and I will be including the audio from that in my next podcast episode. So if you guys are watching on YouTube or wherever, feel free, like, comment, let me know you guys want to see it. Let me know on Twitter. I'm going to include it, but I just wanted to let you guys know I have been holding on to that conversation where I got to ask him a question for a good minute and I will finally be putting it into a podcast and I just want to say thank you to anyone that is actually checking out the podcast or my twitch or youtube or patreon if you guys would like to support you are able to support on my patreon in one of my tiers ranging from three five ten twenty five to fifty dollars a month all of it helps because they take the least percentage out of any gains or any subscribers rather than any other platform so to some people three dollars might not seem like a lot but for me in terms of managing equipment software subscriptions software editing like all of those type of things like need subscriptions and for me to maintain like my internet and then upgrade equipment for better quality things. So also one thing I, I'm excited for, um, I think at a certain point I will be able to get an editor that will be able to help me manage all the content and be able to get stuff out even faster. For now, I'm a one moment show and my lupus is very up and down. So I'm trying to do the best I can, but I just know that this season for NFL and NBA, I learned so much about how to manage content on all platforms 
and I think this last part of the NBA season, I'll be able to start to round things out and bring them together in terms of how to manage being active on not just Twitter spaces, but Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok as well. So check out my YouTube channel if you guys haven't already, Sierra in the bonus, Twitch, Sierra underscore in the bonus, TikTok, Sierra underscore ITB. But you can also find all of those links in my bio. And if anyone would like to support but can't necessarily afford to subscribe to the Patreon, please feel free to retweet or like tweets or like posts on TikTok or repost it or even share the content or your opinion whenever I do post something. That all helps. And the last way people can help without paying anything I have an affiliate link for Webull so that if anyone signs up for a Webull trading account, literally all you have to do is open the account with my referral code. I get a commission from that. And I've also told people if you guys do that and open the account, once I get my three people for the month, I'm able to give you guys 50% of it, which I think. I at least get $40 per sign up. So I'm willing to just go ahead and cash up you guys half of it if you're willing to do that because it does help me upgrade equipment without people having to pay or donate or things like that. So I thought that was a cool way where people can support my content without having to feel pressure to pay because it does take a little bit of time, just like setting up any other bank account, but that's it. So last thing I wanted to mention in terms of the Warriors, we're in a very precarious situation right now. The GP2 situation got settled. I last heard he'll be back in three to four weeks. Right now, we're just waiting on Steph to get back. I hear a lot of people criticizing Andrew Wiggins a lot. And I just want people to give people that have injuries the space to come back and get their rhythm. Because basketball is a rhythm sport. And I just feel like personally, if we've seen someone perform at the highest level in the playoffs and finals and be the second best player of the team, why are we all of a sudden out on them when they struggle or have a slump or are trying to get their rhythm together? Personally, I have complete faith in Wiggins because the questions I had asked, he answered last season. So I'm just like, if contributing to a finals team as the second best player doesn't give you enough cachet to work your way back into the lineup or the flow of the offense then I don't know what to tell you and also I think the Warriors need to feature him in the offense more as the second option because it feels like to me when he's not the clear-cut second off option he will like just sink in and and be uh, just another part of the offense which we know he can do very well but I think with Wiggins they need to make an effort to keep him engaged so that we can get the best version of him because when he's asked to do a lot he can do it right but if you don't ask that of him by not including him in the plays enough it seems like he can just sink back into the offense as for Jordan Poole I have heard a lot, a lot of criticism of this man from, from the beginning of the season. I mean, to me, it's starting to feel like it's not even people making legitimate critiques at a certain point. Some people, it just seems like they're upset that he got paid so much money. 
And my question to you, why does it bother you for a young man who worked his way into this contract that the team didn't want to give him? They didn't want to pay him that much. They wanted to pay Jordan Poole a hundred million or less. So this man worked his way to earn that contract, contributed on a championship team, yet as he gets guarded by better and better defensive assignments, as he grows and is on the scouting report at the top, there's all this irrational criticism of him and these reactionary takes like, oh, trade him. Oh, he's not going to work out on the team. He sucks defensively. He's improved defensively, right? We always knew that he had a bit of a sporadic nature on the court. But the same reason we love him is the same reason now some people hate him. You have to take the good and the bad with players. That is just my overall take on it. It's just crazy to me how when he's doing well, you hear all these praises and then he's inconsistent or bad here and there. And oh my God, he's the worst player ever. No, he's not. He's a young man that's only 23 years old that is developing, that has tougher and tougher defensive assignments covering him, right? And then we're also asking him to expand his role a little bit more to being a facilitator, which is an entirely different responsibility and mindset in approaching the court. Because anyone that's watched Jordan from the beginning of his career knows that at times he can get caught between facilitating and looking for himself. And I think he's on the journey of learning how to do both fluidly. He's not a natural facilitator. He can do it. I think he has the vision for it to a degree. But you have to develop that skill. And overall, between Jordan Poole, Wiseman, the rest of the young guys, this is my message on young developing players. In this day and age, people severely lack patience. We all know this, right? But my thing is, if there's anyone out there who has done any type of uh, work or skill that you have to develop over years and years in order to perfect your craft, people who have done things like that in their life, whether it's a sport, whether it's a hobby, I don't care if it's playing an instrument, I don't care if it's playing basketball, it doesn't matter developing skills takes time developing skills means that there's a lot of failure and a lot of wrong during that process so why are we hypercritical and zooming in on young guys developing you gotta zoom out and then to me it's like if you had any experiences in these different areas of life where you had to develop a skill i feel like a lot of people will be a lot less critical of other people going on their process of learning from their mistakes and then figuring out what aspects they want to keep as a part of the game. And then when you're on a team, it's not just about you. It's about the team. So you might have to take some sacrifices in your game and what you want to do for the sake of the team. And that's also adjustment. So that's my take on Jordan Poole, the young guys. Also, all right, y'all, one more note to the people uh, hate watching uh, whatever James Wiseman in Detroit, please. You can't be serious. But on a serious note, um, I did just want to talk about the words buyout targets. 
I do feel like out of the options so far, Kevin Love is the best option. I know, I know the defense, the defense. Yes, this is very true, but I do think we can put out some lineups out there that cover him up defensively. I'm more so looking at the rebounding potential. Rebounding his defense as well. He, we know he can score. Um, is he washed? I'm not sure. But the Warriors' whole MO is reclaiming people and revitalizing their career. So I just feel like we need size. We need someone to take the load off of Draymond and Looney. And I am not seeing Anthony Lamb in playoffs minutes. There's no way. So y'all let me know what y'all think. And this is the end of the pod episode. Thank you to anyone who watched all the way to the end or listened all the way to the end. I hope everyone has a great one. And until next week's episode, let's go, everybody. Have a great one, y'all.